Welcome everyone to the Cup of Coffee podcast with me, Tom Dillon. This is being recorded live at our weekly online meeting and broadcast around the world. Um, today's topic is from cornflakes to co-living with Kat and Chris, although it's mostly just Chris today. Um, uh, but we're, we're obviously excited to be joined by Chris. Um, and before we start, I'd like to say by way of a disclaimer that today is a wonderful discussion, but that nothing said here constitutes financial advice and you should always take professional advice before uh, investing your hard-earned cash. There may be the odd unplanned swear word along the way as well. Uh, so the format for today is that um, Chris will speak to us for a little while and then we'll uh, take some questions from the floor. So feel free to think of uh, some questions and pop them in the chat um, or, or just think of them uh, and then shout them out later on. Um, Kat and Chris are both from London originally, but now live in Manchester. They started investing professionally in November 2017 and have since gone on to scale their business to 50 HMO rooms, including more recently focusing on commercial to residential conversions. Kat left her full-time role in September 2019 and has since been focusing on business operations, systematizing uh, and outsourcing where possible, uh, basically cleaning up mess while Chris was just focused on scaling up. Within the talk, um, he'll be sharing the three focus areas that have enabled them to go from full-time jobs to having a lifestyle business within four years. Um, Chris, hello. Hello. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. You've uh, a great intro. Thanks for that. Uh, no problem. Uh, uh, anytime I can read out a bio um, is good, especially when I slow down in the middle. I slow down in the middle because I'm never sure whether to read it systemizing or systematizing. Have you got a preference? I went systemizing, but you I'll take it. Well, answers in the chat, please, on which is which and what, what, whether there's a difference, because I've never been sure. And given it's one thing that I hammer on about quite a lot, you feel like you should have a, a better handle on it. Enough of this. Time is against us, as always. So why don't you crack on and tell us something useful? Perfect. So um, thanks for having me on, Tom. So what I'll be doing today is sharing um, just some key focus areas that have enabled us from having full-time jobs to scaling a property business alongside that, which has enabled Cat to leave uh, work and focus full-time on the business. And the principles are probably ones that you've heard before, but what I just thought I'd bring to light is how exactly we've used them within our business. So just to introduce ourselves, as you've sort of already done, but um, I'm Chris, I invest alongside my partner Kat. We both uh, worked at Kellogg's, which is where we met, hence the title Cornflakes to Co-Living. We started investing professionally in November 2017, while we were both working full time. And, and since then, we've systemized and scaled the business to create um, a lifestyle business within just four years. So the, the timeline within that, we started, as I think a lot of other people do, at a um, three-day event where you pay to, to sign up and the whole three days you're pretty much sold uh, a second course which costs you £20,000 to progress on to. We decided we didn't want to go for that and spent the next year just trying to find out and apply the principles that we'd learned there um, to, to grow our business but we essentially spent the whole year just constantly analyzing deals trying to find the unicorn no money down deal and we weren't getting very far at that point we went to a talk that tom was presenting at and he was telling us about the mentoring that he offers so we signed up with tom and his business partner chris and you can just see from october 2017 the scale that we then managed to um 
grow into. So we basically bought our first property just a few months later. That was a five bed HMO in Wigan. We then bought another five bed down the same road in Wigan. Um, because if the first one worked, why not just repeat that and do it again? We then moved areas and focused on Eccles, where we've got a six bed all on suite HMO. Um, then Eccles had Article 4 bought in, so we had to change focus areas and we looked at then Warrington and Stockport. So we got a six bed all on suite in both of those areas. We then changed our focus to uh, commercial developments and we've got a four bed uh, all on suite within Stockport. And then another um, nine bed all on suite that's currently going through planning. That's the pink HMO that you can see on all of our sort of Instagram sites. And the final one that we've got in the pipeline at the moment is another nine bed, which is a pub currently that's being converted to a nine bed all on suite as well. So we've sort of gone from from naught to 50 rooms uh, within four years. And just to give a, an example of the typical deals that we do, this is uh, some pictures. I appreciate you can't see that on the podcast, but it's essentially a pretty rundown um, property that was being used as a unlicensed HMO. It was um, a full back to brick refurb that we did, which is what we've done on all of our deals in order to just add as much value as possible. So the numbers behind it, we've purchased it for 177,000. We spent 88 on the development of it. So we're all in at 276. We got that revalued at 300,000, which with a 75% uh, loan to value mortgage means that we the cash lift in was 51,000. Rents out for 2,900 and our profit on that is a thousand pound, yeah, 1,073 pound a month. So 25% return on cash employed. And this is, not groundbreaking numbers but they're just really typical deals that we do and we know that are out there and we can find and and it was that shift from looking for the perfect deal to then just finding out what works for us and taking action on it that, that's got us to where we are now another deal is this four bed in stockport this is the commercial development that we've converted to an all-on suite four bed hmo we really love this property and it was more cat than me, to be honest, that fell in love with it just because of the exposed brick. And the finish on this was really amazing. And we, um, I can't actually see the numbers now because the uh, <laughs> all your pictures are in the way, so I'm just gonna have to go on memory. But um, the purchase price was 169. Um, we spent just over 50K on the renovation. We've got it valued at 235. Uh, so the cash left in that's about 56. And um, we we get profit on that at £880 per month. So a return on cash employed slightly lower at 19%. Our minimum criteria is 20. So 19, we've just decided round, we'll round up to 20 and we, and we went with it. But we're really pleased with this deal because you can see the, the quality of the finish that we created really has led to the tenants staying with us for longer and essentially higher rents, less void periods. So when we've not had any voids at all, not one tenant's moved out within 15 months. And when the tenant first joined the, uh, first signed up, they actually asked if they could stay for two, two and a half years. So it just shows how actually on paper, it might not look the best deal, but it causes us no noise, no issues, and the tenants are happy to stay there. And it's uh, probably one of the most consistent performing deals that we've got. So, the three sort of principles then 
if they're typical example deals, what what do we apply within our business? So the first one being that success isn't an event, it's a process and it can take a you know a long time and a lot of effort in order to find the deals, to renovate them and to, to get them marketed and, and then tenanted. So we looked at it and decided that our big barrier, if you think of property investing, there's three focus areas, one of time, one of money, and one of experience. We knew that we had quite a lot of, um, well, quite a, not a lot, but a significant amount of money that we could invest. And that was from refurbishing and refinancing our own home. What we didn't have was experience and time. So we basically leveraged the money that we had to sign up to mentoring, gain other people's experience. So then the thing that we were missing was really time. So within that, we looked at our total week and our total month and tried to work out where we could save some time in order to focus on our investing. And when we looked at it, Kat quite quickly pointed out that I spent quite a lot of time watching football. That could easily be cut down. Um, so that's what, that's what we've done. And I now have changed all my subscriptions, no longer have uh, Sky Sports, BT Sport, um, and now have no idea what's going on in the football world a lot of the time. But it's meant that it's saved a lot of uh, time that I can then focus on other areas. And the other one, the big one within that was um, we were spending a lot of time shopping and cooking. And I absolutely hate shopping. So if Kat could take away my football, then I thought, well, let's see if there's a way that we can take out that. And we basically got meal prep so our meals lunch and dinner made for us um and all we had to do was microwave them and that saved just a significant amount of time for us that we could focus in other areas and you get some quite strange looks when you go into work with a meal that's clearly been made for you that you've paid for but we knew why we were doing it and the benefit that it was creating which was time and, and making sure that we were overcoming the barrier that we saw as the biggest one that was going to stop us progressing and I think that principle can be applied with anything within the business. There's always barriers. There's always a process that you can put in place that you can overcome it. The second one being, what is the quickest way to a pay rise? And this is a question I really like to ask because the, the answer being that just work less hours. And for us, we were on a salaried amount, so the amount is fixed. So ultimately, to increase your hourly rate, you can just work less hours. And for, for me, what that meant in principle was sticking to a nine to five, whereas previously I probably worked till six, seven at night. And actually, if I wanted to progress and grow our business, then those hours would be, would be better spent on focusing on property. And that's what we did. And it can be really difficult at times when you go from someone that would be always at end of year ratings getting four or five out of five just being comfortable that a three is what i should be getting because in reality anything more than a three basically means that i'm focusing too much time in work and not enough time on property um so had to get comfortable with that and then i think the final one which is probably the most important thing that we did is surrounding yourself with the right people and you hear it a lot but um you know, just coming to networking groups, speaking to people that are doing the same thing as you, just really gives you the confidence that um, one, you're doing the right thing, but then also you can just gain knowledge and experience from others. Um, I mentioned mentoring and that's been really important to us. Um, and within our journey, as I spoke, you, we had a year of not doing anything and not taking any action. As soon as we got a mentor, we then sprung into action and um, bought three properties within 
eight months. So we had phases of mentoring as well. We had the first phase where we worked with Tom and Chris, which was all just about taking action, um, gaining some momentum and moving forward. We then shifted and, and went to a different mentor, which was more focused on um, profitability and making us as a business more systemized and more organized and, and generating just more consistent profit. And then we've shifted to then a mentor that focuses on commercial to residential developments because that's where we want to focus. So just leveraging the people's experience and knowledge that can complement the gaps that you don't have has been really important for us. The second one, uh, the second sort of focus area was not paying someone is costing you a fortune and that notion that you should just do what you do best and then outsource the rest. Um, so what that means in, in practice for us was um, paying tradesmen to do things versus doing it ourselves. And we started out and there's a, a terrible story that Kat likes to remind me of where there was um, we got a new washing machine for the property in Wigan. I decided rather than to pay £20 for someone to fit it to try and do it myself, you can guess what happened, which is basically the leak just went all over the floor, it damaged the floorboards. Um, so rather than just paying someone £20, it cost a load of time, load of issues. And you find that people can do jobs a lot better than you, a lot quicker. So we decided that from that point onwards, we just had to make sure we were paying tradesmen for everything and focus our attentions on what we did, which is find the deals, manage the refurbs um, and find the money to in order to fund them deals. And that same uh, notion applies with, um, we decided for us, we had to make a decision whether we wanted to have estate agents manage our properties or manage them ourselves. For us, because time was the biggest issue, we decided we needed the state agents to do it for us. Um, and I know a lot of people make cases that for self-management, but for us, that's the, the route that we had to go down for in order to save us the, the time. And managing your properties isn't easy. And we knew that other people were going to be experts in it and do a better job than us. So um, that's what we, we went for. And we know that we, you know, it's that balance between making more profit in the short term versus longer term, having a, a bigger business um, that maybe isn't quite percentage wise more profitable, but quantum cash profit being a larger amount. The, the key bit, though, is not just once you've passed it over to a, a managing agent thinking that that's it. You still got a key job to do in managing the managing agent to make sure your property is at the, the top of the list in terms of filling the vacancies and um, making sure that it's running as smoothly as possible. And we use that the same notion, I suppose, of outsourcing in taking on virtual assistants. So we have one that's based in the Philippines that does all the day to day admin. And we've also got a bookkeeper that um, will run the, the numbers for us and reconcile zero. So we're not spending any time doing that. And then we have a call with a finance manager as part of that service once a month where they will literally present our P&L for the month, look at the focus areas, and we can then decide what the actions are within the portfolio. And our virtual assistant comes to that meeting and she can take the actions there and then. So it's a real systemized, um, nice solution that we've got in place. It gives us the clarity of the numbers, um, which then helps us make better decisions and take better actions. And it's just really treating it like a business um, and giving it the, the proper attention and focus that it deserves. And the final focus area being land your brand. Um, 
and the the idea that any business will thrive as long as it's serving a need and for us you know you and any business really if it's a lifestyle business you, you are the number one customer and, and we wanted to create a business that served us it, we didn't just want to create another job for ourselves so it comes back to that outsourcing point that we didn't want to do all the all the jobs within the business we wanted to make sure that we had a profitable enough business that we could pay other people to do it that means that our time isn't necessarily associated with the business and it's removed um, and again it comes back to making sure that as part of that we're focusing on the things that we enjoy that's then going to grow the business further the, the second one being understanding really clearly what your tenants want and what you're offering so people talk about an, an avatar and getting really clear on what their tenant is and exactly building what, what they think they want so i suppose we we thought that we were um, focusing on young professionals and we thought we were really clear being sort of not long out of HMOs ourselves um, that we would be clear what they want. Whereas in reality, a lot of the tenants that we have are blue collar workers and there's a, a real mix of tenants. So it's understanding what each of that individual tenant type wants based on that location that they're in. And ultimately, it comes down to the fundamentals of location, making sure that they've got a good quality service. Um, and, you know, we pay for cleaners as part of that to keep it nice and clean and tidy for them. And basically the essentials and the, the two greatest needs of a tenant being Wi-Fi um, and at the moment an incredibly hot house, it seems like, based on the current heating bills. But, um, you know, we, we have um the timer stats in in the tenants houses and actually they have their house at, at hotter than what we have ours and and cat always has a go at me for that but um why can't we have ours hotter but ultimately it's serving our customers making sure we're giving them what they want and uh, and we can make up the the balance by having our house a bit colder um so the the final one being understanding your brand and getting really clear on what you want to stand for so for us it was all about quality of service making sure that our the the space that we're providing in terms of um one bedroom size but then also communal spaces being far greater than what the minimum requirements are because we wanted to make sure that we're standing out from the the competition and, and that's in quality but then also our brand is in telling people what we're doing and becoming a brand. So um, we spend a, a do a lot on social media, telling people at work or um, whoever you're talking to about what you're doing. And you can really see it paying off um, the, the pub renovation that I talked about that we've got going on at the moment. We just by talking to people and, and over time telling them what we're doing and knowing that we invest in quality products and um, have a really organized business, we actually, by me sending one email to 10 people within our network that we thought would be interested, we raised 240,000 pound in private finance in just 10 days. Um, and that was all built on longer term, being really consistent, really clear in what we're doing and what we're providing and telling people about it. So just about having a brand and, and sticking to it. So just to recap the three focus areas, the first one is that success is a process, it's not an event. You're gonna to have to make sacrifices, but it's understanding the barriers to that process and making sure that you overcome them. The second being that not paying someone is costing you a fortune. 
and then the third being land your brand being really clear on what what you are what you stand for what your tenants want and just telling enough people over time about that um so thanks very much for for listening um if you want to know a bit more about us we're quite active on instagram and it's at n.wliving you can email us at info at nwliving we've also got a website www.nwliving.co.uk and on there you can sign up to a monthly update that we send out and, and we offer three different services within our business cat does an interior design service for landlords that um, need help in terms of the design and offering the right quality i do mentoring myself and then we also offer uh, investment packages so if anyone's uh, interested please feel free to to get in touch and yeah we're always open to talking to people about uh, anything to do with property to be honest just because we love talking about it so um yeah that's it from from me tom if there's any any questions or anything be happy to take them smashing yeah absolutely uh, if you wouldn't mind just stopping sharing your screen and um uh and then we'll crack on with some questions um thank you very much for, for coming on speaking to us um i think for the first and really the only place to start the questions is when you're say at a hotel uh staying overnight and you come down in the morning and you've got the variety pack there um with the different cereals what which what's your what's your go-to for for me the the nation's favorite crunchy nut is oh. is gonna be what would yours be I, I, it's difficult to argue with that i mean frosties if i'm feeling a bit low blood sugar and like i want to get want to get a real real you know uh, sort of a heavy start to the day if i've got something to do but otherwise it's difficult to see beyond them i mean uh, I, I think they're too small. I've thought that for years. They need to be bigger boxes, but um, but I figure that um, you know they're, they're making the decision there. Um, and that's, I mean, after that, it's then the full English, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. All right. Um, good stuff. I, I should say I, I feel remiss now that I didn't mention that. Um, uh, and it was just an oversight that we were uh, privileged to me and business partner Chris were privileged privileged to uh, yeah mentor Chris and Cat for a while, and that's indeed how we met, and uh, that was a real privilege for us because obviously great to work with with such great people who've gone on to achieve such great things and now be speaking, uh, speaking to you today. So, um, so that's, uh, that was, that was magic. Um, in fact, it'd be remiss of me not to plug our mentoring services. Uh, so I'll, as everyone else is doing it, including Chris. Uh, so, um, so I'll do that in the, in the chat right now. Feel free to get in touch with us or, uh, well, us or Chris or whoever you fancy really. You know, it's, a, it's a free world. In fact, we have a question about mentoring, which will be coming up later, um, which wasn't a plan and didn't come from me, but, uh, uh but there we go so questions questions i had a couple and then we'll rock in so any, any, if anyone's got any in the in uh, anyone's got any then pop them in the chat and we'll get around to as many as we can um you you stop watching football who do you support let's get some Everton. oh you're everton fan i'd forgotten that um to be honest, it's not that hard to not watch them sometimes although i did miss the uh, game against tottenham this week which i was wow. uh yeah tough one fulham tomorrow 7 a.m 7 p.m kickoff anyone's interested um so, uh, uh, and then Kat gave up cooking at the same time. Or gave up cooking, is that the right way to say it? Yeah, I think she was quite pleased, to be honest. It was more the fact I didn't want to go out shopping and then, um, yeah, as a way to then not have to take my fair share of cooking. Uh, <laughs> yeah, everyone to strike off the list. And is that, is that if you don't want me asking, is that something you still do? Um, no, to be honest, we, we did do it for a long time. Um, we now have a process where the... Um, I mean, still don't like shopping, so we do sort of 
<laughs> click and collect and uh our our va actually manages the well there's a process where she can do the, the ordering of the shop so there is there is a systemized process there that that still saves us time but as cat uh, moved into um out of full-time work into full-time property we needed to cut back on certain places and as we were generating time there and she actually gets some passion out of cooking we we took that part back but still outsourced the shopping part well that's great isn't it i, I like the idea and i've certainly done this in the past where there's that old phrase which i really like which is um you have to you have to live you need to live for a few years like other people won't so that you can live forever like other people can't um and so it, just because you choose to sacrifice something whether it's football or cooking or whatever else it might be doesn't mean that once you're able to achieve some of your goals and, and get the success you're working for then you can't go back to those things you know maybe in the future you'll be able to watch um, everton lose lots more games uh, <laughs> so uh, that's to look forward to but um so that seems uh, that seems great i really like your stuff and i wanted to, to actually expand on it i really I like the clarity about um the idea of everyone's got a barrier in your way, whatever it is, you know, whether you're Ozo or Richard Branson, there's always going to be stuff in your way or Elon Musk's trying to get stuff to Mars. I'm sure there's a few problems with that, uh, but it's just about, right. Clarifying what that barrier is, what's your biggest barrier in your way and then working out to smash through it is you talked a little bit about it, but how do you, how do you go about doing that? Like if I'm sat here now, how do you work out what your biggest barrier is? Well, to, to be honest, Tom, I think you might have told us the process of, of how to do it, which is then what we applied. But um, now I think, the it comes down to us of focusing on the numbers and getting clear on that so part of what we were I suppose struggling with it's thinking that we knew what how our business was operating but not being as close to the numbers so now we have the bookkeeper that that basically reconciles all the costs but then we have that monthly call with a finance manager where we can go through and say right where are the issues is it maintenance is it occupancy rates whatever it is you then isolate that problem specifically you then dig into more detail on it and um we go through an exercise of um basically it's called 99 problems you can sort of finish the rest um but working through based on that what what are possible what are all the problems associated with it so for example if you've got low occupancy rates what are the 99 things that are in your way that's stopping your occupancy rates going up and then once you've got them problems right down as many as you can you then bucket them into different segments and um, they'll all form under different sort of subheadings and then it's finding solutions to them problems so you've sort of gone right the way through the process from um, understanding the financials where the problem is broadening it out but then work going then into solution mode and it's only going into solution mode after you've got real clear on what the what the problem is okay smashing um uh you talked about um, uh, going to work with, with, with someone else, another mentor, uh, and you mentioned specifically talking uh, the, the, the thing they helped with was moving towards and helping with um, making consistent profit. First thing to mention on that is I'm a big fan of, and I imagine you are as well, but welcome your thoughts on um, the idea that um, it's great to move mentors every now and again because you're going to learn different things from different people. So that's um, that's to be welcomed um, uh, and to be encouraged. I see some people working, I think, too long together with the same person. It's like, you know what they know now, you know, move on. Um, so I think there's a, there's, a, there's a correct time frame to be doing that for. But then uh, uh, the main part of the question, I think, is is – what did you learn from that personal people about about making consistent profit? What what, what did that bring to the party that you didn't have before? Um, 
I think to be honest, part of it goes back to the clarity on the financials. I think we were doing a lot of stuff on um, spreadsheets. We just started using Zero, but we weren't using it properly. And we invested more time and I suppose more money in getting um, a proper bookkeeper to do it for us, which then once we got clarity on them financials, it was then working through, um, as I said, where the issues are, how we can... Um, just make it a more profitable business where could we cut back in certain areas or or almost grow our way to a more consistent profit but within we're now really clear on how much profit each individual room can deliver us and we don't use that as what our profit is we basically take 70 percent of that to allow for fluctuations and then that's the the profit number that we know as soon as we add more um, rooms to us we know that broadly that's going to be the consistent profit um, we then leave that buffer in the the business and and we can just um, take the 70 percent number so you know rather than focus on that top line it's getting what what in reality barring anything you know possibly like covid for example but even during covid that number has stayed consistent um that you will always be able to to deliver um and you know we've got then other um money buckets within the business so like three months cost and um other areas that basically can just make sure that we're more streamlined and you know having a room void for a period uh, for a month isn't then going to impact our overall profit number um in terms of what we see as our take home yeah, excellent. I um, it sounds like you're really shredding it on that one, which of course makes you shreddies. Uh, thank you. Um, <laughs> I know it's Nestle. Leave me alone. That wasn't a good one, Tom. Not pleased about that one. <laughs> well, I'm, yeah, well, yeah. Oh, come on, you can't do them all perfect. Um, so uh, I, I, I've got I've got one more, and then we'll get onto the um, onto listeners' questions. So if you have any more questions, then the chat box is the place for you. Um, uh, you mentioned, and it was slightly confusing. I got it, but I, I think it definitely needs touching on again. You said, best way to make more money, work fewer hours. And I thought to myself, hang on, what? Um, so presumably you're making the distinction there between sort of paid employment versus versus self-employment or working for yourself. Or maybe you're making the distinction between working for yourself versus working for someone else. Talk me through it. Yeah, so for us, it, I suppose full-time employment, it definitely works because ultimately you're paid a salaried amount for the year regardless of the amount of hours that you work. Obviously, that's, you know, if you if you don't do any hours, I'm sure there'll be a, a quite a big problem with them that it might not be consistent for a long time. But certainly for, for me, what it meant was not working nine to five because, uh, sorry, only working nine to five and not working longer after that because it wasn't going to increase my overall salary. So ultimately, my hourly rate is going down and it's not, um, I'm not focusing my hours where I should be. So I suppose that there's that notion. But then I, I suppose there's another ele element to it, and you, you you hear people talk of this, that actually you can sometimes be the, the biggest barrier to your business's growth and you put in own obstacles. So actually there is probably something there that if you worked less hours and make sure that you got out of the way of your business and put a process in place, it could probably run smoother Um and then the other element is making sure that the hours that you do spend are then not in the day-to-day -day focusing just on the running of the business there, focusing on how you're going to grow the business, um, which, yeah, then ultimately just goes around in a cycle and ultimately you can uh, get paid more as, as a result of that. Okay. Has that cleared it up? I think so. I think so. Um, yeah, I've got it. Uh, 
this, this first question uh, isn't a plant, but it sounds like it is. Um, uh, it's, uh, um, I wonder, I'm wondering about whether you get the person to ask it so it doesn't sound like a plant. Are you there, Isu? Do you want to ask your question? It's a plant. Is it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's not Isu. All right, I'll ask it. Um, I don't think it's top secret. Uh, the, Isu asks, um, what criteria do you use to select a mentor? Got to be bold. <laughs> Got to be bold. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it's it's giving, it comes back to leveraging the experience part. So where are your barriers? So for us, for example, when we started out, it was just knowledge on how to take action within property. So we wanted to, uh, Tom, we went to a talk that Tom did, which was all around that and talking us through, um, you, they have to be likable. You have to be able to get on with them on a personal level and feel like they're a few steps ahead of from where you are at that point. But then it's then, you know, focusing on from that point, you know, just consistently reviewing where are the barriers that you've got. So our knowledge gap was all around um, commercial to residential development. So that was us quite clearly then where we wanted to get our next mentor who was an expert within that area. So there's one, what's the experience that they've got that you don't have that you can leverage? And then, yeah, do you as aspire to be in their position as well and, and make sure that you feel like you could work with them on a one-to-one -one level? Because they're going to be challenging you. They're going to be consistently holding you account for your actions. So there's got to be sort of a, a mutual respect and, a, and a, um, you've got to get on with them on a personal level, not just pick someone that... Um, you know, has completely different values to you. Um, you want to do business in a similar way to what they do and, and bring them principles into your business. Absolutely. There we go. Uh, yeah, mutual respect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had that, yeah. <laughs> no, we did. We did. Damn it. Right. So um, we've got loads of questions here. So we'll fly through those. Uh, an excellent answer to the question, by the way. So next, uh, Colin. Colin's first up. Second up. You there, Colin? Hey, Chris, how you doing? Yeah, uh, good, thanks. So a quick question. You said you've done 50 HMO rooms. What was your average refurb budget per room? Average is between 12 to 15K per room, um, depending on, I suppose, the size of the property and the amount of work that needed to be done within it. But yeah, that's the, the general level. Thank you. I've spent less than that on, on some houses, but um, but then my houses look nothing like your rooms, <laughs> so that's probably why. Uh, so yeah, you, um, so that's that's uh, I guess the excellent finish we've uh, well the ones who are here have seen on the uh, on the thing. Um, uh, I'm, yeah, so that's all good. Uh, Louise, are you there? You're up next. Hi, yeah, it was just um, there was there was quite a lot of quite quite big deals um, in short space of time, like no. No buy to lets, they were all like quite large HMOs. And it was just a question of how did you manage to raise the financing for them? So we had um, basically we'd refurbed our own property and not refinanced that. So we had a pot there. And then when we analysed it, actually, we so I'd owned a property before me and Kat moved in together. So we had two properties, one that we could refinance. And then the other one that when we looked at the numbers, as much as I was really proud and almost became an accidental landlord um, by the fact I had a second property, when we reviewed it, the value of that versus the profit that we were getting, it didn't make any sense for us to, to keep hold of that one. So we sold that and then um, put money into 
the business and essentially we were focusing on we started off in Wigan because the value of the houses was a lot cheaper there so we knew we could build our experience using our own money in those areas and then after that point we looked at uh, private investors um, people within our network friends and family so um, once we'd sort of done it with our own money we felt confident enough to go out and and talk to others about investing with us Thank you. Super. Thank you very much, Louise. Um, Ant. By the way, while we're waiting for Ant, I, I was thinking like when you were doing a development, you'd spend a thousand pounds on this, a thousand pounds on this. You'd spend a K over here, a K over here, maybe a special K on this other thing. Thank you. Um, Ant. Is it me? Do you mean Tom? Well, there's no other Ants here. Good, good. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was just a question, Chris. Um, Something I, I, I did initially, but I, it's, I need bench. Is that like benchmarking your demographic, like you say, your customers? And it is really vital because that it changes over time and can, like COVID, have introduced changes. And the big question is are there going to be fundamental changes or temporary? So, really keen to hear what you've learned and what your mentors have advised you on that benchmarking to drill into okay, this is my market, because it sounded like you'd swip, switched about three times in the in your presentation. So, yeah, I just came to hear that bit, really. So what, what specifically? Just what how we view the tenants and what they want? How you defined your, your, your domain. Like um, when I started off in London, where I, I bought stuff, it was like, right, my, my core tenant was people coming who were doing financial placements and people who went to King's College because my property was nearby. I kept it high quality and then I was getting like foreign students coming and paying me six months. You know what I mean? I had this very clear, um, clear benchmark, really, um, of what I was aiming for. Um, which defined who I marketed to and who I put, you know what I mean? The whole shebang yeah. was very, I was very clear on what I was after and why I thought that would give long-term. Yeah, definitely. So I suppose for, for us, like I said, we don't manage them ourselves. So we will only work though with HMO specific letting agents because we feel like they are the experts in that area. And um, it takes a different type of, um, management agent and we learned that the hard way to be honest but um, now we're really clear on that so they will support I think in a number of ways in terms of looking at you know once you've defined the property um, in terms of the tenant type that you're going to get but I think we have a step before that which is sounds similar to what to what you do is um, we will get heat map we'll basically get a map of an area that our investment area circle all the key, either the employers or the fundamentals that people will want to live close by, um, transport, yeah. shops, um, those areas, and then, yeah, basically circle them and then you, you create, generate a heat map and, and um, to define the specific, like real clear, almost streets within the area that you'd be keen to invest in. And then we were really closely with the agent in terms of providing, um, making sure that the services that we offer are right for that tenant. And I suppose it comes down to even simple things like we know one of the properties that we've got, um, 
not not any of the tenants try owns their own car and drives a car so whereas before we were probably focused on making sure we had car parking spaces and that is important because you know it could rule out certain tenants but the bike store was more important for them so we make sure that we provide that and it's just yeah. those bits of detail that you get just from talking to to agents really and and when we even though we don't manage them ourselves we do i mean pre-covid but we'll make sure we go there and speak to the tenants so we can get a feel for them and, and what they're after what they like about the property what they wish they had and see if we can address that um because yeah the, i suppose the more the more you understand it the more you look after their needs the more likely they are to, to stay for longer periods of time so Super. Thanks very much, Jan. Yeah, I remember um, it's, it's giving me a flashback to uh, to our mentoring sessions where you used to t- tell us you'd found this place but had no parking spaces. And every week, and we'd say, shut up about the parking spaces. Um, we're talking about the middle of Wigan. Uh, exactly. You know, some of, this, some of these areas, you've got frosty tenants. Um, to be honest, some of them are Fruit Loops. But um, so you, you've got to be, thank you. So you've got to be, um, you've got to be really uh, you, you two there. You've got to uh, really know your areas, and um, uh, and and then you will, well, then you then you smash it. Um, whether whether they need a parking space or whether they don't, uh, for example. Oh, I'm proud of that. All right, move on. Um, we, loads of questions have come in now, uh, which is always the way. <laughs> now we've not got much time left, but hey, yo, we'll get through as many as we can. Alex and Jenny, I'm not sure whether one of you is there or both of you. I haven't found you on the screen Jen, yet. Jenny's left for the morning. Morning, everyone. Big, broad question for you, Chris. What's the one thing you know now, three or four years later on, that you wish you'd known when you had started? Excellent question. Very good question. That stumped me. Um... I suppose going back to the very start of it, after that three-day course that we went on, we—I wouldn't say we wasted a year, but that really feels like when you look at the, the timeline that we went through, that was a key time that we weren't taking action, and we were almost like people call it analysis paralysis. We were analysing that many deals, and it wasn't quite right. We weren't taking action. I think if we'd have gone back to the beginning, it would probably be surround ourselves with the right people earlier on, and um and just take action because i think you know tom and chris always said to us after we bought the first house in wigan it was like well we we showed them the next house and they're like well what's the worst that could happen and as long as you have you've got your exit strategies covered in terms of not just having one focusing on a number of different areas of potential exits then really you know in theory, not not that much bad can happen. So it's just about surrounding yourself with the right people, I'd say, and then take action is probably the thing that we would have done right from the big beginning and, yeah, save that year's time where we weren't doing much. Very good. Like that. Thank you very much. Um, Colin asked, we've heard from Colin, so I'll read it out. Um, he says, did you ever manage to buy, refurb and refinance and get all your cash out? On average, how much cash did you have to leave in in each deal? So the golden unicorn, did you ever manage it in the end? No, we're still looking. And to be honest, if we hadn't have, um, if we hadn't have have got mentoring, I think we would probably still been looking um, because, you know, that was essentially what we got taught on that course. So that's what we're trying to find. Um, I know they do exist. You know, there's there's people that we know that have got them. But um, no, for, for us, we basically plotted out based on the cash that we had at what point that would run out based on the amount that we were leaving and for us i think it was uh we could definitely do three deals um so we knew that at that point we would have enough experience that we could basically find private investors to to invest with us so um it was taking action and, and getting them 
three. And I think then in terms of minimum or average amount that we've left in, it really depends on the value of the property. Because I mean, the ones in Wigan that are 70, I mean, purchase price 70K, there's not you know a lot left in them at all. But as a percent, it's broadly 30% on our um, return on cash employed. Whereas the property that we're just working on now in the nine bed all on suite in Stockport, that'll be valued at around 400,000. So it's still, I mean, it's slightly over 25% that, but quite a variance in amount we've left in, but that's just based on the area. And we would never have started on them, the, on what we're working on at the moment, um, but we were comfortable with where we were in Wigan. The worst cases were only leaving in you know, 20K or whatever. Um, we could continue to to do that and there wasn't much risk. Excellent stuff. Um, I had the question ready and I've lost it. Here we go. Simple one, but a good one. And I think I know the answer already. Uh, which social media platforms do you find most effective? We're, we're pretty big on, well, we're not big, but we're, we're spending a lot of time on Instagram, I suppose. Um, and we're getting a lot of good um, people get in touch from that. I think one of the biggest things that we've done is... Um, do, which is quite which we don't see everyone doing is a, a monthly update so we've got people to sign up through our instagram and then we'll send out a monthly update to everyone that's on our mailing list and you get then essentially a list of people that you know are interested in property that are used to hearing you and, and going along your journey every month with you um so we send that out and we've had investors come through that we've had mentees come through on that um, and it's slightly niche and a bit, you know, not everyone's doing it, um, which I think has been really useful. Um, so, yeah, Instagram, I think we're not we're still focusing on growing a, a LinkedIn presence, which, um, you know, we're not we're not doing at the moment because you can't do business pages. And, and there's a bit of a, a conflict now when I'm still in work. So um, we haven't done that. But yeah, so Instagram's the main one. Facebook groups are great as well. Um, but just just using them all because you can basically use similar content for all of them. So just get the content right and then post them in different, different areas. Yeah, it's good. Isn't it important that you're, uh, when you're doing social media, that the, you post really sort of snap, crackle and pop off the page to uh, engage content. An easy one there for anyone who's not really into serial. That's uh, that's more for the mainstream. Um, okay. Uh, uh, what else we got? Um, one question, if another one, if you don't mind. Shoot. Uh, I always hear where people, I mean, I, I've been quite conservative. Um, so I'm, I'm keen on different views on this web where people pull the money out. What's your then longer term plan to um, get your LVT down, particularly, you know what I mean? When you look at resilience of your portfolio as you grow it, have you come to, have you defined a strategy for how you're going to pay all them down or are you just purely maintaining the, the current LVT, what, what's... Uh... Yeah, so we've, so I suppose we got really clear that the, the most important thing for us was cash flow. So we just wanted to, we were solely focused on that and getting building that part up, which is why we're focused on HMOs. And um, ultimately, yeah, we weren't too worried about the amount of leverage debt that we had in, in those properties. I think generally along the way, which uh, aren't, we haven't necessarily spoken about, but we've done a few flips along the way, which has generated a bit of a pot to, re to replace some of the cash that we've left in. Um, longer term, once we get to the cash flow number and that consistent profit number that we'll get to, we'll focus on more of a, a wealth um, 
creation play, which is um, continuing on flips, single lets, or um, uh, basically building a portfolio that's not necessarily so focused on cash flow, but more um, longer term capital growth that then at some point you can, um, we're not exactly defining X, we're not at that point, but in theory, sell half your portfolio and then the rest is um, not mortgaged. So uh, we're not at that point yet because we're just focused solely on cash flow, but we know at some point there will be a flip into more of a, from a cash flow to a wealth creation strategy, which then, um, yeah, we're basically going to have just a, a number in mind. So say it was a, a million pound, we want to just have a million pound equity. And then, you know, as long as you've got 6% interest on that, that's then 60K a year, which is regardless going to come in. Um, we're not at that point yet, but that will broadly be how we'll be thinking about playing it longer term. Thank you very much. Um, I think that might help to answer the next and final question from which comes in from, from Mark. You there, Mark? Yeah, I am. I think this answers the question, Chris. Thank you so much for sharing your experience. I guess I was just wondering if you had considered starting with buy to let uh, initially. It seems like you went full on on HMOs. And yeah, many of the advice, et cetera, tips are just so simple, something easy, get used to it and, and start from there. So keen to hear your thoughts. Yeah, we hear it a lot that and um, can definitely see why people would start on, on buy to lets. I think for us, as I said, the, the, the main focus was all about cash flow and we knew the quickest way to get there was through HMOs. Um, we've done two renovations so we sort of knew how that process worked and we could understand that on our own homes and then because we weren't managing the properties ourselves we basically got partnered with letting agents um, and HMO agents that then could help us through in terms of getting clear on what the tenants want and those differences and as long as they're managing them there's not a, a huge amount of difference in theory between um, having a, a buy to let single tenant versus the HMO tenant because it's the managing agent that that manages that so for us that's why we were really clear on I can see the benefit in doing a buy to let first but for us we just wanted to take quick action quickly and get to our cash flow number so that's why we went down the HMO route. If you're going to take quick action, it's it's imperative to do it quickly, isn't it? Otherwise, there's a very little point taking quick action slowly. That's that. If we've learned anything, if you take one thing away from today, um, that is a top tip. <laughs> that is today's top tip. Um, uh, thank you very much, everyone, for your questions. So, uh, Pete says, "What a brilliant presentation um, by Chris today. Love the journey and how professional. Uh, well done, Chris." And Colin says, "Thanks, Chris. I still speak to people who think they can buy, refurbish, refinance, and get all their money out. So it's possible, but rare. So it's nice to hear a realistic." answer so um just a couple of comments in the chat there so so thanks very much for those uh uh bring up my um little notes here um so uh, thanks all uh, all those who are attending here today um and all those as well of course listening to the podcast and a special thanks for us to our speakers chris and cat minus cat um uh, i felt that was uh, that was just right Tune in uh, next week. Thank you. Uh, tune in next week. Um, when I actually haven't got anyone confirmed next week. We've got a few people in the pipeline, but we'll see who, who turns up or we may do a mastermind meeting. Um, don't forget that uh, we from nine to half ten. Um, uh, uh, and... <laughs>